0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes, I'm Brett McGarry. This week I've got a bit of a rant to go on as it pertains to one of the bigger TV shows we've recently watched. Plus...
1: I'm Jeff Braun. My favorite show returned this week. We'll dive into season two of Only Murders in the Building.
0: And one of my favorite TV shows ever, which just wrapped up late last year, already has a remake. Is it worth it?
1: But first, the first two episodes of my favorite current show, Only Murders in the Building, were released this week on Disney+. Plus. You are all persons of interest in this
0: case. Someone's trying to frame this. This, this is going to be fine. Could be bad very rare for a
1: true crime podcast to do a sequel. We have a real opportunity here. You know what else
0: feel like there's still a couple of loose ends? Get a new hobby, as long as it doesn't land you in jail. Like knitting? All right, don't be a smart ass. It's kind of her thing. We are looking for new evidence.
1: You clearly know things that you're not sharing. You understand the definition of perjury? I know what perjury is. I don't. Only Murders in the Building star Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez as Charles, Oliver, and Mabel, three true crime enthusiasts who live in the same fancy New York City apartment building who banded together last year to solve a murder in their building. Now there's been another murder, but this time they are the prime suspects. It picks up right where it left off with the season one finale with them being arrested for their murder of their neighbor, Bunny. The police interrogate them and let them go, warning them not to investigate the case themselves. That lasts about two seconds. And the game is afoot. In two episodes, they very quickly get deep into this new mystery. It's impressive storytelling, and of course, it's very funny, too. There are a few new characters. There's, uh, there's a couple of new neighbors, like Amy Schumer, playing a goofy version of herself. She's moved into Sting's penthouse. He was in the first season. And Shirley MacLaine, who plays the mother of the murder victim. There's also a connection between MacLaine and Steve Martin's character's father, and a whole lot of pipe laying involving the history of the building. What's going to matter and what's a red herring does remain to be seen, of course, and that's where the show really succeeded, I thought, last year. Red herrings are tricky, of course. If you have too many of them, the audience will simply lose interest in any new development, believing it to be another red herring. But if you don't have any, then it's, you know, too easy to guess the mystery in the end. The season also features a foul-mouthed parrot which always makes me laugh, even though it's kind of a cheap joke. Also, you know, a parrot that can talk may be a valuable witness at one point, or it might also be a red herring. The, par- the, the performances are top-notch once again. I noted last week that it's always special when you get Steve Martin and Martin Short together, and of course they don't disappoint. And Selena Gomez is also great. She made me laugh out loud several times in these first two episodes with her impossibly dry sarcasm. And the generation gap between her and the old guys is always good for some laughs. It's a team-up demographic. We don't often see a woman in her mid-20s and a couple of guys who are 50 years older, but it works. The reason they teamed up in the first season was their love of these true crime podcasts, and then they started their own podcast as they investigated that murder. Now, in season two of the show, there's a lot of talk about them doing a season two of their podcast, and then there's a lot of these winking meta jokes about the podcast that are really about the TV series. Again, it's just clever writing. Like I said, it was my favorite show last year. Now, there's been a lot of great TV this year already and we're only halfway through the year with new shows like Reacher and Peacemaker and We Own the City and returning favorites like Better Call Saul and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel but I will say if only Murders can keep it up it does have a good chance of being my favorite show this year again as well the first two episodes are out now on Disney Plus with new episodes coming every Tuesday and Brett that wasn't the only new show I watched this week it was the new returning show I I binge watched what has to be the easiest show of all time to binge watch. It was that show I was talking about last week, Rowan Atkinson, starring in the Netflix series Man vs. B. On all 14 counts of
0: dangerous driving, the destruction of priceless artwork, arson, do you have anything to say before you're taken down?
1: You see, there was this B we all know atkinson as mr bean and here he plays a guy who becomes a professional house sitter he's house sitting at this fancy mansion and there's a bee in the house and he tries to get rid of the bee and that's pretty much the whole show it's an hour and 40 minutes worth of material but it's carved up into nine episodes the first episode is just under 20 minutes the rest are all around 10 minutes the episode lengths listed on netflix are longer than they really are because there's about two minutes of credits at the end of each episode Anyways, as silly as it may seem, you know, like, why not just make it a movie if it's movie length? It actually does end up making sense as a TV series. I just don't think it would hang together as a movie because there's really not enough story, but there are enough scenarios for him to fight with his bee to make episodes of television. But again, not long episodes. It's very strange. It's, it's a unique thing. And if you watch it, you'll see what I mean. And I guess, you know, Mr. Bean was also a show where, each vignette or whatever was 10 to 15 minutes long or something short like that. So it seems weird, but it makes sense when you see it. I watched it in three sessions for some reason, just you know trying to fit it in here and there when I had half an hour to kill. Like I said, the premise is that he's house-sitting And there's a bee in the house, and it irritates him, and he tries to either shoo it out of the house or kill it altogether. I should also say this house belongs to these super rich people who hire him to be their house sitter while they're on vacation. And the house is a smart house. There's lots of electronically controlled things, fancy motion-controlled cupboards and appliances, things like that. The homeowners do leave him a giant manual showing him how everything works. But, of course... Being who he is, he promptly destroys it and has no clue how to work anything in the house. So it's a two-pronged disaster, figuring out the home and trying to get the bee. He also has an ex-wife and a daughter, and he FaceTimes with them every now and then. And the area policeman also keeps showing up because alarms get tripped and things like that. Um, It was during one of these FaceTime calls with his daughter where I realized, oh, this is a COVID production, something they could shoot that didn't require any extras or a lot of scenes with the actors even in the same room as each other. I think a lot of stuff has been shot like that the last couple of years. I often overlook it. Uh, That movie I talked about last week, for example, Spiderhead. I thought it was weird in that movie that Chris Hemsworth and his assistant sat so far apart from each other at their... Sort of work desk, but, you know, thinking back on it, well, that makes sense. I guess if it was COVID, they had to be six feet apart. So that explains the weirdly long desk. Overall, though, man versus bee, exactly what you would imagine it to be when you think of Mr. Bean trying to get rid of a bee. He can turn something as simple as trying to suck it into a vacuum cleaner into a huge disaster. And it's hilarious to watch. The only real problem I had with it was there's a sudden burst of extra plot in the final episode. I won't get into spoilers, but it just felt a little awkward as they sort of try to get to the ending they want. Other than that, good stuff. It makes me wish they'd just reboot Mr. Bean. I mean, why not? Rowan Atkinson still has it, so... I highly recommend checking out Man versus B on Netflix. You know, within the first fifteen minutes, whether or not you want to watch the whole thing.
0: The episode lengths, I imagine, too, are probably perfect for those who are attention span challenged, like myself, or <laughs> and but, like Mister Bean. Yeah, you know, I think it's actually a perfect solution because I was thinking when you when I saw, you know, you're right up here that it's an hour forty. Why not just make that a movie? I mean, they did that. Um, was it Mouse Hunt? Movie in back in the 90s about two guys trying to just... that was There was a mouse in the house, and they were trying to catch it, capture it and kill it, yeah. and it was hilarious. But uh, based on what you just said, it sounds like it makes more sense as a TV show and having a 10-minute episode here and a 10-minute episode there. That might be just the ticket. So I think I'll check that out. That sounds fun. In a moment, we are going to tell you about something new in theaters this weekend that... Um, I gotta admit, if I never see these characters again, it will be too soon. Details next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad, he's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. New in theaters this weekend, something the kids will surely enjoy. But the parents, not so sure. Good night. Good night. Yes, yes, yes. Good night. Good night! No. No. Minions, they're back. It's Minions, the Rise of Gru. This is now the fifth movie starring the minions. The first one came out in 2010, Despicable Me, about Gru, the supervillain and his little minions, cute little yellow guys who make lots of noise. It was a surprise smash hit and it really was a lot of fun. Like so many films, this new one was pushed back due to the pandemic. It was originally set for July 2020, but they couldn't finish the movie so it got pushed to July 2021 and now July 1st, 2022. And this movie is a prequel. It takes us back to when Gru was young. <laughs> Minions, there are a lot of other villains in the world, but I am going to be a super villain. Gru, once again voiced by Steve Carell, wants to join the super villain super group, the Vicious Six. <laughs> this world is mine for the taking. Make me king as we move toward a new world order. This puny little child thinks he can be a villain. Pretty despicable See what they did there He is despicable Cause despicable me lol Anyway the interview process does not go well for him And the vicious six And he finds himself on the run So in the meantime the minions take it upon themselves To do whatever they can To save their boss On little guys, huh? I am a master of kung fu.
1: Ah, uh, teach you kung fu for smoochy, smoochy? Hmm? Wow.
0: I will teach you. Good voice cast in this. That was Michelle Yo, who will teach the minions kung fu. Taraji P Henson is one of the main villains. Jean-Claude Van Damme plays Jean-Claude, spelled C-L-A-W-E-D. There's also Luli Lawless, Dolph Lundgren, Danny Trejo, Russell Brand, Julie Andrews, and Alan Arkin. It's hovering around 65% on Rotten Tomatoes. The consensus, though, is the minions are becoming a little grating, but there's enough to keep the kids entertained. And hey, it does look like a fun little adventure. (laughs)
1: a fair
0: fight. Are you uh, your girlfriend's
1: kids going to want to see this? No, I don't think they're into minions. I did see the first Minions movie a couple of years ago. I don't think I went with any of them though. I think I just went by myself just to give us something to talk about and I actually I, I enjoyed it quite a bit too. So, I I'm not racing to the theater to see this one, but I think someday I probably will end up seeing it. I I don't mind the Minions. I can see why they would start to get a little uh, wearing your nerves after a little while, especially if you live in a house where you hear it all the time. Like if little kids, you know how they like to rewatch movies a thousand times. If you got that going on, there's probably people out there that just,
0: you know, their blood curdles when they see a Minion or hear a Minion. (laughs) Yeah, the first one came out in 2010, Despicable Me 2, 2013. Then Minions in 2015, Despicable Mm -hmm. Me 3 in 2017, and now we have Minions The Rise of Gru. Meanwhile, on Netflix, you watch something this week.
1: Uh, The action comedy The Man from Toronto starring Kevin Hart and Woody Harrelson.
0: Hey, Toronto. You ready to go back to work? an extraction of information we meet at the safe house in 19 hours you're early you on time you're late ain't that right follow me you're gonna take
1: me on tour what is it uh, game room airbnbs you never know what you're gonna get
0: oh no
1: <laughs> who is that this is the man from toronto I'm so, wait what i'm the man from toronto and he's here to torture you
0: Hey, yo, what's my name? The man that you're talking about is a a real crazy person. One more time. Kills people, chops them up. Come on. Hola. I am the man from Toronto. Objection. No. I'm the man from Toronto. Oh, this is on you.
1: You don't see a lot of Hollywood movies directly reference Canada to the degree that this movie does and I gotta admit that's mostly why I clicked on it. And it was mostly worth it. Like all Netflix movies, it's not great, but since I'm paying for the service, I might as well watch something on it. Not exactly a ringing endorsement, but there you go. Woody Harrelson plays the man from Toronto. He's an assassin for hire who works for some shadowy organization we never fully understand. He gets his assignments from a mysterious woman we don't meet until late in the movie and he carries them out quickly and efficiently. He's a rude ruthless killer, at least on the face of things. And then Kevin Hart plays a guy named Teddy, who's always trying to come up with a crazy business idea of some sort that he insists will make him a fortune, but it never gets off the ground. He has a girlfriend, it's her birthday, and he wants to surprise her with a weekend getaway. But because he screws everything up, he also screws up the address of the cabin that he's rented, and he ends up in the wrong place at the wrong time, where he is somehow mistaken as the man from Toronto. And to the movie's credit, the whole thing is not about this case of mistaken identity. Instead, Harrelson figures out what's happening really quickly and it becomes a team-up situation between the real and the fake men from Toronto. Harrelson wants the money that's involved in whatever's going on. Hart just wants to not die. The results are okay. I laughed out loud a couple of times. I chuckled a few more times, but it's by no means a comedy classic. Weirdly enough, I did have this recurring thought All throughout the movie, I was like, I thought Jason Statham should be in this Woody Harrelson role, and I looked it up afterwards, and indeed, Statham was the original actor hired for the part, and he quit right before they started shooting over creative differences with the producers and director. so... I pat myself on the back for that one. It's too bad because I love seeing Jason Statham in comedic roles. He can be very funny when he wants to be. And of course, you would immediately buy him as an assassin. Nevertheless, Harrelson's always fun to watch too. He does get some funnier stuff later in the movie when he meets Kaylee Cuoco, who plays Hart's wife's friend. Hart, meantime, does exactly what you'd expect him to do. He talks a lot very quickly and freaks out over everything. So both of them are fine, but they're not really elevating anything at all. Not like, say, Charles Grodin and Robert De Niro in Midnight Run, which is also two guys on the run dealing with multiple bad guys on their tail who don't like each other much but learn to over time. Midnight Run is, you know, the best of those kind of movies, especially on the action comedy side of things as opposed to just straight action. The man from Toronto is a bit of a pale imitation. Also I saw some headlines this week about how complaining about how no one pronounces Toronto correctly and I will say who cares? Be happy they put the name of your city in the title and move on. Overall the movie's watchable it does have some fun bits here and there, but I would not make it the main event of my Friday or Saturday night. Three couch cushions out of five for the man from Toronto.
0: <laughs> I was wondering uh, if they would be upset because they, how how is it really pronounced? Don't they always say Toronto? Like the, the last T doesn't really get pronounced. Yeah,
1: or it gets dulled into a D at Toronto or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, or it's not pronounced at all.
1: Yeah, and then Kevin Hart comes in hard with Toronto.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Tarana. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, That's great that that made uh, headlines for that. But good comparison. And you know what? I have not watched Midnight Run for probably 30 years. So I should do that.
1: It's so good. It's on my weekly list of me searching around to see if it's streaming anywhere. It never is. And it comes to me (laughs) like every every Sunday night, I was like, that's all I want to watch. Nope, not on anywhere. (laughs) Okay. Blu-ray costs $40 for some reason.
0: Still to come, we got to tell you about a classic 90s action film that I watched this week. And I am going on a rant in just a moment. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. I have some follow-up thoughts that I'd like to get off my chest as it pertains to the recent Disney Plus series, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Hello there. Specifically about the lightsaber action through the series, which I've seen quite a few people complain about. So first... I mean, hey, if you didn't like the show, that's cool. If you hated it, that's cool. And if you hate basically everything that Disney is pushing out on Marvel and Star Wars because you feel like it's just a content conveyor belt, that's also cool. Because in many cases, it's kind of true. Like, The Mandalorian so far has been great. The Book of Boba Fett was fun, but nothing special, and honestly, the best part of that series was the Mandalorian-themed episode that they did. Uh, Marvel's TV series have also been hit and miss. Moon Knight, for example, had lots of things that I really liked, but lots that left me kind of disappointed. And so far, I've only watched one episode of Ms. Marvel, because I think I just need a break from all of it. But Obi-Wan Kenobi, that was a must-watch for me, and it delivered. One of the things that I loved about it, it's the first time that we've seen Darth Vader in a live-action setting where he didn't feel like the Darth Vader we know. Vader, in those original Star Wars movies, he's calm, he's cool, he's collected. Yeah, he gets angry from time to time, but when he needs to. And he is just a one Sith wrecking machine in this Obi-Wan series, because it's 10 years earlier than anything we've seen. He's still clearly learning, and he's still... Very much Anakin, at least part of Anakin Skywalker. He's still calm and cool for much of it, but we also see him many times where he's emotional, rash, angry, petulant, but he's still a one Sith wrecking machine, as evidenced by the way he just dominated the Inquisitor Riva. You know, she was part of his Inquisitorious team. Uh, Jedi hunters, and she finally decides that she wants to try to take him out. He didn't even have a lightsaber in his hand. He just turns around, opens his hand, and uses the Force, quickly disarms her, and stabs her because LOL. But the lightsaber stuff, some of the negative reviews that I've watched or read say the fight scenes look bad, they're poorly staged, and are overall just kind of dumb. And I found myself wondering, like, were we watching the same show? Are you just simply hating it simply to hate it? And again, if you don't like it, that's fine. Some of the bad reviews, for example, break down the plot and the plot holes. And when you look at it like that, i.e. from a certain point of view, yeah, I, see, I can see the merits in many of the criticisms. It's not a perfect show, but it was an emotionally satisfying show. And the lightsaber duels, I mean, both you and I, Jeff, thought they were tremendous. Am I wrong in recollecting it that way? No, they were absolutely tremendous. They
1: were, I think, my favorite part of the whole series, especially, uh, I, I mentioned it every time we talked about it, that the they would be like fighting outside at night with the lightsabers, how we rarely see, you know, uh, lightsaber battles in the dark like that, and it looked super cool, and it was, you know, something different, something new and refreshing that, you know, this late in the game after all those movies and other TV series, it was I was impressed that they could come up with a, a new look for a lightsaber battle. I thought they were awesome.
0: Yeah, we got a taste of it in Episode Two, Attack of the Clones, when Anakin was fighting Count Dooku in a fight that did not last long. And of course, the the first fight in Return or the fight in Return of the Jedi between Vader and Skywalker was much in the dark. But what they can do now with the visual effects to to make the lightsabers look yeah. more glowy and more realistic, it just came off so well. So I stumbled upon this video on YouTube. I was just looking for more Kenobi stuff. I wasn't looking specifically for this, what I found here. So I came across a video on the IGN channel. IGN is a really big entertainment media company, news, reviews, pop culture stuff galore. It's cool. And this video is called Sword Expert Reacts to Obi-Wan Kenobi Series. The guy's name (laughs) is Matt Easton. He is a historical European martial artist He's an antique arms dealer, and he's owner of the fencing club Scola Gladiatoria. So in other words, when it comes to sword stuff, he knows his stuff. Sidebar, I do realize how nerdy it is that I watched a 15-minute video about this. Hey, what do you do in your spare time? Woodworking. And you? Gardening. Okay, what about you, Brett? Um, I like to watch videos on YouTube of experts analyzing the sword play in Star Wars. Anyway, here's what the uh, sword expert says. I think Obi-Wan might contain some of the best lightsaber fights that we have seen in in any Star Wars genre so far. So he goes through the big fights. The first meeting between Obi-Wan and Vader. The fight between Riva and Vader. And then the big rematch at the end between Obi-Wan and... And Vader, and he talks about how well the scenes are acted, how well choreographed they are, going right down to pointing out subtle grip changes that they make mid-fight to give them a better defensive stance or what have you, stuff that I just never would have caught. And while some have pointed out that the first fight made Kenobi look like a bumbling idiot, well, at that point in his life, he kind of was. He'd lost touch with the force he definitely was not ready to take on someone like Darth Vader. So he just played defense as well as he could uh, before Vader tossed him in a fire and then uh, someone came to Obi-Wan's rescue. With a Riva fight, this Easton guy points out how Vader could have just tossed her aside with his power, but instead he still dueled with her, even though he didn't have a lightsaber at first, but he did point to Vader's fancy footwork, again saluting the thought and choreography that went into this stuff. And then the rematch, of the the big rematch at the end, I think that one, I'm pretty sure he said specifically this might be the best fight we've ever seen. And he one of the things that he liked about it was it wasn't as over the top as Revenge of the Sith. Uh, that fight was cool with Kenobi and Skywalker, but it was a little insane. This one felt more grounded. And uh, one thing I will point out about that scene when Vader... Says at the beginning before the fight starts when he says, then you will die and jumps into the fray to attack Kenobi. He screams. Have a listen. Then you will die. So he very aggressively goes after Obi-Wan Kenobi. Does Vader ever do that? No, generally not because he's always in control. But except around his former master, it seems, at this point in his life, he still has that need to beat him. And through this well-staged fight, we can feel the emotion that remains between these two former brothers. So I was just really happy to find that video because sometimes you read other reviews and you watch uh, other reviews. And, you know, we've been doing the show forever, but I still think we're more hobbyists than than full-blown critics. And sometimes I wonder, like... Do I know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but in this case, I, I, this video kind of did vindicate that a little bit. And I think it vindicated the show because I think a lot of the criticism comes from guys, Jeff, who just automatically, like they've already made up their mind before the show starts that they're going to hate it, that it's going to suck, that everything about it is going to be brutal, that the fight scenes look bad, the visual effects look bad, and they can't find any redeeming qualities because they've just, their mind's already made up. So uh, Am anyway. I
1: Advice to those people is, and, you know, like there's a certain amount of people that the last thing they enjoyed was, you know, Re- Return of the Jedi. And so I was like, well, why are you still watching this? If every Star Wars thing for the last th- 40 years has, you know, upset you, wh- why do you put yourself through it? Just move on to something else. It's it's okay to fall off the wagon for stuff you don't enjoy. The, the misery that these people put themselves through is, blows my mind. But yeah, because you're right. So many people come into any Star Wars thing with the preconceived notion that this is going to be terrible.
0: And if you go in looking for it to be bad, of course it's going to be bad. That's just the way it works. And the Star Wars movies, like they were entertaining. They're not, I mean, they're, they're masterpieces, of course, but they're not the, the greatest films ever made. They're just fun science fiction stories. So I don't know why they're now expecting... Total perfection, the best stories, the best yeah. writing, the best everything. Like, just enjoy it for what it is. It's a space opera. Like, it's about wizards with swords, laser swords. <laughs> like, I don't know. Anyway.
1: And, I mean, and much of it has been, you know, with the giant looming caveat that, what, that you sort of uh, alluded to at the beginning is, like, it's a, they're a content conveyor belt over at Disney, and all they care about is is uh, keeping the subscriptions up. And in the Star Wars universe, you know, selling toys has always been like 80% of the business. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, we hope we have a good movie, but we really hope we sell more toys.
0: Good point. Good point. All they care about in the end is the dollar, dollar bill. But at least in this series, they did it in a way that left the couch potatoes emotionally satisfied to say the least. In a moment, we want to tell you about a remake of a show that just ended... And we want to take a quick stroll down memory lane for a 90s classic. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. In a moment, we want to just go down memory lane and enjoy something from the 90s. But first, Jeff dropped a bit of a bomb on me this week when he says, Oh, and hey, I see there's some sort of a money heist spinoff on Netflix. What? What? To recap, Money Heist is one of my favorite shows in recent years. A thrilling Spanish series about a ragtag group of bandits led by El Profesor to steal lots and lots of money from the government. It had five seasons and was a global phenomenon. And it just wrapped up in December. So to hear there's a new Money Heist show, I thought, okay, I'm curious. Immediately crack open Netflix on Wednesday. At that point, it was the number five show in Canada. money heist korea joint economic area six episodes came out last friday june 24th six more to come later this year they're all pretty long too the first episode was an hour 18 second one's an hour 14 they're all over an hour and i've only watched the first episode it's a remake but it's through an entirely different geopolitical lens because the Spanish show was fabulous and thrilling and exciting, and I loved it. Not sure that I was clamoring to watch pretty much the exact same story again, a group of ragtag ragtag bandits led by the professor to steal lots and lots of money from the government, but count on the Koreans to inject their unique cultural tensions into the story to give it a fresh spin. In this, they imagine a Korea where the tensions between North Korea and South Korea have ended. There's no longer a border between the two and they have a joint economic area in the middle that was designed to benefit all Koreans to the north and to the south. Turns out that just the rich get richer. So the professor hatches this plan to steal four trillion won from the mint. That's four billion Canadian, by the way. And it's it very, look, it's very much a retread, like right down to the same character code names. They all call each other by the name of a city. So, much like the first series, we have Tokyo, Berlin, Helsinki, Denver, Rio, Nairobi, Moscow, and Oslo. There are some familiar faces, for example. Actor Park Hey Soo plays Berlin. If you watched Squid Game, you'll remember him as Cho Song Woo. He wore glasses, he was quiet but sneaky and turns out kind of ruthless when he needed to be. In this, as Berlin, much like the Spanish Berlin character, he's slick and debonair, and he always kind of feels like he might kill everyone in the room. So it's cool like to see him just com- play something completely different. Oh, he's an actor. Look at that. And, uh, Jeff, there's a Lost connection. Yunjin oh. Kim plays the main police negotiator. What was her character's name on uh, Lost? She was Sun. That's right. So it was cool to she see she her too- pop up. So now Jeff might have to watch this. But uh, also the North and South Korea tensions are interesting because even though the there's it's a, now a unified Korea, there's still tension in the police. Will the officers from the North work with the officers from the South and vice versa? Will they trust each other? How will their tactics be different? And there will also be tensions elsewhere, I imagine, for example, with our group of bandits because some are from the North, some are from the South. And another thing I like, even though it's still basically the same story, it feels like something completely different. It's much more colorful and flashy, yet also more measured in its pace. Money Heist was very often the faster moving show, slick show, stylish show, and I enjoyed it. But I also enjoy the way the Koreans have no problem slowing a story down a bit more here and there. Anyway, the Spanish version is excellent, and so far the first episode of this new one is also pretty good. Six episodes out now, six coming later for Money Heist Korea, joint economic area on Netflix, so I'm excited to see how they finish their adaptation of this cool, cool story. If you've never watched the first one, I suppose you could probably start with this Korean one now. Either way, you can't lose. They're both awesome. Meanwhile... I watched a classic action movie from the 1990s this week.
1: On June 6th, the federal government will issue the following summer travel advisory Buckle up. We're going to Disneyland. Wee-haw! This summer. What are you going to do? We'll skip the a. It's the pro. Yeah. Let's do it. Versus the con. Strap in, ladies.
0: Going for a night out in Vegas. Woo! i Jerry Bruckheimer, the producer of The Rock Con Air, directed by Simon West I'm too old for this Rated R. Con Air, the 25th anniversary Was earlier this month, June 6th 1997, the movie that Contains this immortal scene With a wonderful mastery of accents From Nicolas Cage Yeah Put the bunny back in the box I knew you was a punk And I was right. You've been playing us all along. You a free man.
1: I said, put the bunny back in the
0: box. Ball, and then this awesome scene with John Malkovich as Cyrus.
1: Cyrus, help me! Looks like you missed your connection. We We were coming to get you.
0: Please, Sai... Anora. No! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I forgot how much I loved this movie. It's on Disney Plus if you want to watch it. There is a surprising amount of, like, racism and other sort of culturally insensitive stereotypes that just would not fly today. But it's a nineteen movie from 1997, so you got to take some of stuff like this with a grain of salt. Jeff, you recently watched Con Air again, didn't you?
1: I, yeah, I watched it either last year or the year before, sometime during the pandemic. And, yeah, it, 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 you know, there's stuff that has aged poorly, but that stuff aged poorly is- in Ninety-seven too. That's why it was so fun because it was an airplane full of just the worst people on the planet. So uh, none of them were going to you know sit there politely and say nice things to each other. It's a it's a terribly exciting movie. It's the nineties were great for having these, especially as they went along with uh, I can't remember the name of the guy who made this, and then of course Michael Bay or whatever, where these action movies just got crazier and crazier until they just you know went flat out insane or whatever. So it was a lot of fun. It was you know Nick Cage was. Was this his first... It was one of his... It was this and Face Off were... The Rock. I guess he had The Rock first. It was The Rock first. And then this and Face Off were his three... You know, that's his big trilogy. I I remember hearing that uh, he went back to back. He walked off the set of either Con Air or Face Off, and 12 hours later was on the set of the next one. Like just did these things back to back to
0: back to back to back well and face off this is the 25th anniversary for that movie too as well because it yeah. three weeks later it was released on june 27th 1997 uh if you want to watch that one on streaming it looks like it's on paramount plus that's all the time we got i'm brad he's jeff we are the couch potatoes remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother